Shabbat Shalom. Captain Lewis is recuperating from surgery, and we surely miss him and his style and his services. As I was told this morning, he is a saint, and I am no saint. But how can you refuse General Grigsby when you're asked to, to do something? Today is the Sabbath. As A.J. Heschel, the theologian who walked with uh, Martin Luther King in Selma said, the Sabbath is a dimension outside of time and space. When you enter the Sabbath, uh, you enter a space that is beyond space and a time that is beyond time. After a week of communal and national pain, heart-wrenching exposure of private lives and national debate, we come back together today in the spirit of the Sabbath, a restoration of soul, a regeneration of spirit, and a recuperation of our communal self. We gather at AT to reaffirm our commitment to the IGR, the National Guard, and our state. We also mourn the loss of loved ones in the last year. We miss those who have retired or left the IGR and pray for the recovery of those unable to attend due to sickness. Judaism is less a religion of beliefs and doctrines and more a practice of faith. Our practice lies rooted in the 613 mitzvot or commandments given to Moses on Mount Sinai. And those commandments define the very nature of what it means to be Jewish. His observance of the commandments, not his profession of faith, determines his character. No greater litmus test of this observance than the notion of tikkun olam, the notion of healing and fixing a broken world through acts of chesed and kindness represents these commandments. Colonel Friedman. Shabbat Shalom, Sabbath peace. I know I didn't have to uh, translate that for you, but do you know about the phrase Tikkun Olam that uh, Major Ungary just uh, talked about? What this is, it's a, it's a beautiful concept. It means to heal the world. And it's becoming a very common concept in the Jewish community, so much that there's a recent story that uh, an American student who's visiting Israel on the birthright program asked his host, how do we say in Hebrew, so they made the mistake, but, uh, but heal the world is not just a great concept, it's a commandment. And it's recognized that it's healing the world is such a formidable task that none of us are expected to complete it, but we are not free to abandon it. So we have an injunction to heal the world, and I'm standing here on Shabbat talking about healing the world, wearing an army combat uniform. Make no mistake about it, it's a hunting suit, and much worse, it's a people hunting suit. But what's wrong with this picture? 
Well, when we really think about it, I'll answer that question. Nothing is wrong with this picture. Over 400,000 good people lost their lives healing the world of the pandemic of Nazism. Uh, there's another commandment, which is more or less a corollary of healing the world. And it's a commandment that's stated almost in military format. It's an order followed by an authority line. And the commandment is Lotamid Ahmad. And it's, you will not stand idly by. And this means that you won't stand idly by when a fellow human is being harmed, threatened, harassed, or threatened or endangered in any way. And Elie Wiesel, who was a Romanian-born American Holocaust, Jewish Holocaust survivor, a philosopher, a humanist, Nobel laureate, uh, Nazi hunter, uh, uh, and a knight of the British Empire, an amazing human being. And his acceptance speech in accepting the Nobel Peace Prize was entitled The Perils of Indifference. And what he was talking about, he was addressing the dangers of remaining silent when people are endangered or they're humiliated. It stressed the urgency of the command, you will not stand idly by. And the importance of this command is further emphasized by the authority line that we talked about that followed the order. And the authority line with this one was a Adonai, I am the Lord. So what this means is that the violation of the command not to stand idly by is not only a crime against humanity, it's a sin against God. Sometime when you're putting on the uniform, maybe when you're lacing up your boots, even when you have a few moments to reflect, you may think about that by putting on this uniform and by serving, you're not only acknowledging that you have a commitment or you have a commandment to do what you can to heal the world, to, to uh, obey that injunction. But you're also, you are taking, you're not just recognizing that, you're taking an active part in working toward healing the world when you put on the uniform and when you serve. And you need to feel really good about that. We can expect to live in a better world for ourselves and for our children, but only to the extent that we're willing to build it. It has, been, it, ha it has been and continues to be a distinct honor on my life to serve with you and the rest of our military community and our family in working to heal the world. To come along, heal the world. Shabbat Shalom, Sabbath peace. Thank you. On the Sabbath, every year, we complete the entire Pentateuch, the five books of Moses. So it's split into 52 sections, and every Sabbath, we read from the Torah, which is the scroll, handwritten by a scribe on parchment. It turns out that last weekend uh, was the completion of the entire cycle. And the Torah comes to a completion with the following verses. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab. And Moses was 120 years old when he died. And Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom. 
and there has not arisen since in Israel a prophet like Moses. Those last eight verses, we are told, uh, are central to the divine authorship of the Torah and test its validity. For how is it possible that Moses, who is being, who, who the Lord is dictating the entire Torah to, can write, and Moses was 120 years old when he died? These last eight verses pose a challenge to the divine authenticity of the Bible. And so we go to the Talmud, the oral law, to explain and contradict itself. The master has said, I quote from the Talmud, Joshua wrote the book which bears his name, and including the last eight verses of the Pentateuch, which includes, and Moses died. This statement is in agreement with the authority who says that the last eight verses actually were written by Joshua as it has been taught. So the Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there. How is it possible if he died there, him being dead, he could have written the words, Moses died. So the truth is that up to the last eight verses, Moses wrote the Torah, and from this point on, Joshua wrote it. This is the opinion of just one Rabbi Jehuda. According to others, Rabbi Nehemiah said, but can the scroll of the Lord of the law be short even one word, not nevertheless eight verses? So you must say that Moses had to have written the last eight verses, but how could you say that? And so he comes up with this ingenious idea that until this point, the Holy One, blessed be he, dictated and Moses repeated and wrote it down. These last eight verses, God dictated, and Moses wrote with tears. And this is an outrageous comment from the Talmud in Bava Basra 15a, but it struggles with the authorship of the Bible itself. It is these eight verses which test the divine authorship and the Mosaic tradition. In a sense, the opinion of Rabbi Judah indicates that the book of Joshua really begins eight verses earlier at the end of Deuteronomy. Of course, there's a slight difference in terms of holiness. Mm -hmm. The Torah, the five books of Moses, has superiority over all the other books. So what does it mean when it says Moses wrote with tears? The simple understanding would be that Moses wrote these last eight verses whilst weeping. Moses, the faithful servant of God, takes the dictation like a good secretary for the final time and is overcome by emotion and weeps. Um, and of course, he's writing his own epigraph. According to this understanding, it is unclear why the tears of Moses should change the status of the verses. I'd like to add a thought to these illustrious rabbinic commentators of my own. It could be that by writing with tears rather than ink, Moses is leaving us a transparent message. Even though he's writing his own last eight verses of his biography, in fact, by leaving them transparent without the black ink, he's giving us a message in these tears. Not about only how tragic life is, but always that the work is unfinished that the invisible words written with tears allows for each of us 
to contemplate our own Torah, our own biography, through living our life, with all its happy, sad, and tragic components, with its highs and lows, and the tragic ending that befalls all of us eventually. Moses, our teacher, leaves one last instruction. Live your life. I am leaving you these last eight verses for you to write in your own biography. The Torah is not a closed system, but forever remains an open book, open to interpretation and open to reading yourself through your experiences and struggles. At the end of Sabbath, which is sundown was five minutes ago, uh, we have, and I've handed out uh, a ceremony called the Havdalah ceremony. Havdalah means the separation. It's the separation that distinguishes the sacred time and space of the Sabbath with the secular week to come. It's a separation between rest and activity, between sunlight and darkness, between the busyness of daily routine and the privilege of private reflection. It impresses upon us the reality of moral distinctions in the universe. The symbols of the Havdalah observance are wine, the twisted candle, and the spices. I'm going to ask There are three blessings that is the component to the Havdalah ceremony. And the first is the blessing over the wine. The wine is the symbol of joy. With it we celebrate the fruit of the vine and the bounty of nature. Wine is the symbol of the wholeness of life. And it reminds us that life is both joy and sorrow. And we accept them both, and so all that life has to offer. I will make the broker. Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech olam, Borei peri hagafen. The next is the spices, and you'll see that in your pages. These spices represent the fragrant beauty of all that is good and true in life. We inhale the aroma of these spices with the hope that the days to come may be complete with the sweetness of health and the joy of fulfillment. I'm going to make the blessing and then I'm going to pass it around to everyone to say. Baruch We are grateful for the week that is now ending and for the chance to be together as we contemplate the week to come. We are grateful for tonight's reminder of our quest for peace and joy, rest for the body, and refreshment for the soul. May something of its meaning and message remain with us as we enter the new week, inspiring us to work with a new heart for the benefit of all the world. And finally, the blessing over the light. 
as the great light of the sun recedes on the horizon, leaving behind the shadows that become night, we bring forth this candle to relieve the darkness with its warm glow. It represents all that is obscure and vague in life, all that frightens and confounds and finds home in unlit spaces. So often human beings have succumbed to the shadows of addiction and have lost their way in darkness. The twisted Havdala candle represents the many sources of light which when combined bring joy to our hearts, wisdom to our minds, and peace to our lives. Even as these intertwined strands of wax come together in the warm glow of a single flame, so does goodness and knowledge, joy and hope, lend to nourish and enrich our lives. Baruch Adonai, Eloheinu melech olam, Borei miorei hoveish. Baruch Adonai, Eloheinu melech olam, Amadiu ben kodesh lechol, Benor lechoshech, Ben Yisroel loamin, Ben Yom HaShvi'i, Vesheishes yimei hamaseh, Oruch HaTor Adonai, Amartyo ben Kodesh lechol. We bless each other with a good week to come, and in Hebrew that is Shavuot Tov. I'd like you to say that, Shavuot Tov. Shavuot Tov. Thank you everyone for joining us.